0: Hi, this is Randall Schwartz, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Jonathan Bennett joins me. We're going to be talking about Singularity, a great secure way of running your containers on high performance computing equipment. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay tuned. Podcasts you love from people you trust. This, this is Twit. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz, and Jonathan Bennett. Episode 552, recorded October 23rd, 2019, Singularity. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by NetScout. Meeting the digital demands of today starts with a bold new IT strategy. NetScout is delivering a new perspective of visibility without borders to guide your digital success and data center transformation. It's seamless visibility and monitoring for performance and security. See how at netscout.com and by Worldwide Technology. Worldwide Technology's Advanced Technology Center is like no other testing and research lab, with more than a half a billion dollars of equipment, and it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more and get insights into all that it offers, go to WWT.com slash twit. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show about free, libre, open-source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, Merlin at com, bringing you each week the movers, the shakers, the big projects, little projects, projects you may be using every day and be totally unaware of it, projects you might want to download right after this show and play with. I think today might be one of those. Joining me once again is our frequent return co-host, Jonathan. Jonathan Bennett, welcome back to the show. Hey,
1: Randall, it's good to be here. It's nice when you set your own schedule and you have something like this you care about, you get to say each week, yeah, I'm available if you need me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you were the you were like the only one that was able to say yes to this week. So that was – I always appreciate it when I have at least one person that can be a co-host because this show is actually very difficult to do without a co-host. I've done it once or twice in the past, and mm-hmm. it's no fun because one of the things we like to do with our co-hosts is uh, hand off so that we can regroup. And uh, it works both directions. It works both, uh, you know, from the co-host to me and then from me to the co-host is that, you know, we we get to after about six or seven questions, we kind of dry up a little bit. It's just natural. And so we like to be able to hand off. I am this week uh, back in my home. I'm in home for another couple of days and then I'm off for another two week trip. Um, down to uh, San Jose and down to Tijuana. So you'll see a couple of uh, instances of this show from what we like to call the Tijuana kitchen set with the magnets that have moved. All the magnets have moved. Um, This week is an interesting show. Uh, we've got, uh, a couple of guests on, um, and we're going to be talking about singularity, singularity, uh, is gonna, we're going to be talking about that with, uh, Gregory Kurtzer and with, uh, Eduardo Arango, um, I probably murdered his name, but, uh, I should be able to pronounce it pretty well since I'm speaking a lot of Spanish these days, um, and Singularity uh, looks like it's a project that manages or helps you manage containers, and of course containers are all the rage. You might know that from things like Docker and things like and, and uh, other uh, facilities and and stuff like that. It looks like this sort of came out of the high performance computing arena or the enterprise computing arena, and I don't know what distinguishes Singularity from any of the half dozen other projects that we've had on this show. Uh, that are also covering the same area. So that's probably going to be one of my first questions that I'm going to be asking these guys when we bring them on in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Jonathan, anything you can contribute to that?
1: Well, I'll just mention that when you talk about high-performance computing, like running on supercomputer clusters, the, the the scale is so much different that some of the problems that are not problems or trivial problems running on, you know, one computer or a server or a few servers just become massive problems when you're, when you're trying to scale up to supercomputer levels. And so I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that some of what this project is about is finding ways to solve those problems. Like how do you deal with, uh, you know, hundreds of, of gigabits of bandwidth throughput that you need to manage? Um, How do you deal with, you know, terabytes and terabytes uh, if not exabytes of storage and RAM, things like that, um, I'm, right. I'm assuming, but you know we'll have to ask the expert
0: experts and find out. Yeah, the other thing that I saw was uh, it seems to also be biased towards being able to develop on your uh, laptop, develop an application on on your on your desktop or laptop, and then. Deploy it at scale with uh, minimal Mm -hmm. risks. That's going to be interesting to see how they're doing that as well. So uh, we will bring on uh, Gregory and Eduardo in a moment. But before that, we have an important message because this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by NetScout. Accelerating innovation and operational agility that can meet the demands of today's digital world. Start with a bold new IT strategy. As the pace of change continues to exponentially increase, so too does the risk of failure, raising the stakes for CIOs, architects, and IT operations. Simply put, digital transformation has changed the game. But NetScout has a different perspective, one that was built for the era of digital and data center transformation. It's called visibility without borders. This real-time visibility extends to wherever your technology, infrastructure, and business applications reside. As the world leader in transforming packet data, NetScout's smart data delivers high-resolution and continuous monitoring across any network, data center, cloud, 5G, and more. Already in use, monitoring and securing some of the world's most critical commercial and public service infrastructures. NetScout's next-generation level of visibility provides the holistic perspective that IT teams are seeking. See more at netscout.com. That's N-E-T-S-C-O-U-T dot com. And we thank NetScout for their sponsorship of Floss Weekly. And now let's go ahead and bring on our guest. Let's start with Gregory. Gregory, welcome to the show.
2: Hi there. Thank you so much. Hey, and where are you speaking to us from? I am in Berkeley, right across the bay from San Francisco. Cool, cool. I've been there
0: many, many times. I used to work down in the South Bay, so I uh, haven't been back in a while because most of my clients aren't there anymore. uh let's also bring on um uh, eduardo eduardo welcome welcome to the show.
3: Hi uh, pleasure And where are you? and uh, I'm in cali colombia
0: you're in you're in colombia,
3: yeah, very far.
0: Cool. You know, that's that's actually one of the few countries I haven't been to yet. I've been to uh, 62 countries uh, and I've been to Venezuela before it got weird. And of course, I've been many times to Argentina and Brazil, uh, Brazil before it got weird. (laughs) Everything's getting weird in the world. Anyway, but I haven't been to Colombia yet. I have lots of friends that uh, have been there, though. So that's pretty cool. So let's start with you, Gregory. Uh, Give us the 30,000 foot view. When somebody's reaching for singularity, what problem are they trying to solve?
2: Well, historically, you guys kind of nailed it. It was originally, it was developed for high-performance computing use cases. Uh, my background is about 20 years of high-performance computing, working for Department of Energy. And uh, about five years ago, I was tasked with integration of container technologies into these big supercomputer systems. Uh, couldn't use what was existing and currently being used within the uh, the community for several primary reasons. Uh, first one is security. Uh, second really is just about software integration. And then third is hardware integration. And how do, you, uh, how do you implement a container system that's really designed for running root level services onto a platform that may have 10, 100, or even thousands of different users on there, none of which are allowed to have any form of root access? And how do you do, uh, how do, you do that? So uh, existing container technologies were kind of ruled out across the high performance computing space. Uh, by pretty much everybody, uh, I create. I, I took a stab at creating something. I have a, a long-term background in doing open source projects and operating system design and, and whatnot. So I took a stab at creating it, prototyped it, and very quickly it took off within within the supercomputing realm. Uh, we have about a 90-plus 90, 90 percent market share within supercomputers at this point. So wow. it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. So, what were some of the challenges you
0: faced when you uh can't have root level uh, processes or or how to how to box in root level processes
2: well so you you just kind of you just kind of hit the nail right on the head uh, you 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 can't have any root level processes running on a supercomputer that that is controlled or uh influenced by any non privileged users. Right. Again, Mm -hmm. you could have you can have hundreds, thousands of users on these systems, none of which have root. And how do you properly allow them to run a container or an environment that they have created with their applications and data and whatnot that they may have created on a laptop or in another system and then move that over to a supercomputer, which they have access to? And how do you do that in in such a way that doesn't give them additional privileges? Right. So the first step is, well, You need to make sure that when they run the container, they're running it as themselves. There's no root level daemon. You do it completely rootless. And uh, once they're inside the container, again, if they can bring their own container, they might do something like, well, set their own root password or install sudo or uh, potentially other, you know, somewhat malicious things. How Uh do you enable... Uh, security. How do you block all privilege escalation, such that you can be confident that they're going to be the same user inside that container as they are on the host? And that was really the the, the first initial problem that we set out to solve, which was really the the security implications of how do you do this uh, on a supercomputer? Then how do you and then take it to the next level? How do you do this through a batch scheduler? how do you do this with parallel jobs mpi jobs how do you do this with parallel file systems infiniband gpus and all of the typical type of stuff that you have on these big supercomputers and then how do you do it without a performance hit so that was the initial problem that we solved and uh, or set out to solve and uh yeah it's it, as a result of us I, I guess doing okay at it maybe <laughs> uh we got it, we got pretty pretty significant uptake and, and uh,
0: you know, I'm, I'm naive about how containers work sometimes, but how would I, this would also prevent me from, say, opening port 80 for a web server, right? Because that's a privileged
2: port. Well, so one of the things that we do, we abide by POSIX standards and uh, POSIX limitations as much as we possibly can. So uh, if as a unprivileged user on a particular host, you have the ability to open a port on port, you know, under 1024, or port 80, for example, well, if you can do that on the host, you can do that inside the container. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. do anything to uh, to break or enable additional privileges uh, on the host. Okay. So it really just comes down to, you know, again, just leveraging standard POSIX security rules. Cool, cool. Eduardo, what's your relationship to the project?
3: Was well, pretty much kind of the same, but uh, I took it from the open source perspective. So I was assistant admin at a local university here. And something around four years ago, the main uh, professor at the university told me, hey, we should try running containers in the university data center. And I started to play with Docker, with LXC, and I was feeling that that was not working for me. And after some research, I find out a very crappy web page made by Greg, Uh, Greg is not a web developer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I then jumped into GitHub, forked uh, the project, and I started working with the project and in my data center. And I started to contribute back. And uh, after like one year of contributing, Greg just hired me. Like huh? I became a full time developer for Singularity. So that's how I became a part of this project. I was in a university. People were trying to use containers, and uh, I took the open source way of looking who's doing something similar and just contributing back.
0: Well, you may be a little biased since you're actually working for the company now, but what did you find missing in things like, say, Kubernetes and Docker and, and things like that, that uh, that singularity brings to you?
3: Well, Kubernetes didn't exist at four years ago. So oh okay. Well I guess that's a choice. <laughs> yeah. So and and as Greg said, in an HPC data center what you are always using is a batch schedulers, right? And my university we were using HT Condor, which is kind of similar like a Slurm. So you are always thinking on MPI, on parallel applications, and Kubernetes was not even on the roadmap for me. I was just, uh, I have some users, I I need to work with bioinformatic people, with mechanical engineers, with whatever, and I don't want to have multiple versions of Python in the same host. So my first take on container was uh, solving dependency issues. Uh, That was my first take on containers.
0: Okay, and what's the, does, uh, does Singularity have the kind of coordination that Kubernetes now has? I mean, can you say, I want to create a cluster and this port needs to talk to that port on that server and so on? Does it have that kind of coordination?
3: I could take sure. a stab yeah. at that. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting oh, like, you're <laughs> Wait for great.
2: <Gregor>. sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I can take a quick stab at that. So uh, we are, we really see ourselves as the container runtime. So <laughs> if... Uh, if you want to integrate with a batch scheduler, or you want to integrate with Kubernetes or HashiCorp's Nomad or or Mesos, uh okay. you can. We we basically we we support and we can inject ourselves into those environments. We're still working on Mesos. Uh, but if if you're looking, for example, if you want to leverage Kubernetes and Singularity, and there's a bunch of additional security uh facets that we've brought into Singularity since its original inception, and if you want to leverage those, uh, you can. And we have a direct integration now to Kubernetes. As a matter of fact, that was paid for and that was funded uh, by one of the largest secure, fo- security focused uh, government organizations. I, I probably leave it at that. Uh, simply because, again, we we approach security very differently. Uh, when we when we set out to build this container system, I mean, in no a matter of speaking, we did it with blinders on, right? So we're we're like just focused on HPC. We're focused on the problems that we're trying to solve. And when you're trying to solve things like how do you manage things like uh government controls of software, you know, anything from export control to let's say medical controls to nuclear controls to top secret controls. You can't just go and start injecting a whole bunch of root-running code that's opening up ports and sockets and allowing people to, to connect to them and and, and running untrusted code, uh, trusted code that you can't validate, you can't verify cryptographically, all of these sorts of things. So we set out to solve that, that sort of stuff. And uh, once we've solved it, now all of a sudden a bunch of people wanted to run this with Kubernetes. So we actually do have a Kubernetes integration and, and whatnot. But again, I don't want to make it sound like Uh, We we have no competition with, with Kubernetes or any of the orchestration or batch scheduling systems. We work with all of them. At least that's the goal.
1: Hey Greg, I want to jump in and I can and ask something. You, you mentioned um, you mentioned not allowing people to run as root inside the containers, and I, I may be showing my uh, my naivety just a little bit. But what what's the problem with running as root inside a container, so long as you don't give somebody
2: a bare metal root access? Ah, uh, okay. So you just hit on a a big, in, in my opinion, it's a big confusion between containers and virtual machines which is you are running bare metal. A, a container is basically just an application that's running around some namespaces or around, around some limitations, but you are running on bare metal. So as a result of that, if you were to give and I'm going to use the high performance computing system as the use case here to, to explain this. So if you have let's say we've got, you know, a bunch of systems, on, a bunch of users on the system and I give these users access to run containers. Now, if they have the ability to gain root we just lost all data security. We just lost network security. Uh, we, we open ourselves up to denial of service attacks, among every, all these other things. And, and as I mentioned, we're focused on controls, and we have to manage the compliance of our software controls uh, from a security perspective. That pretty much just loses the entire game for us. So if I... I'm on a host and I am a supercomputer and I am a non root user. I'm just a regular user. I want to run a container. I don't, should not be able to have any mechanism to either open a root level port, uh, have access to any data that other users own or, uh, that, are, that system data. I shouldn't be able to see Etsy see shadow just because I can spin up a container, which you could do with root. Uh, so there's, there's, there's a lot of excuse me what you can do with 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 the other container systems when running is root should be more uh, pedantic. <laughs> so, uh, in a, in a very high level nutshell, that's kind of the problem that we that we had to solve. And then we had to solve it. We had to solve some a, a couple other facets as well, which is how do you guarantee the trust of your container? How do you know that what you're running is is exactly what you are what you are intending to run? And so a couple of things that we've done differently. Our container format is somewhat different from the rest of the community. Uh, what most people in the community are focused on is the Docker slash OCI format, and which is an open format. And we definitely support that, but we found that it's at least in our use cases, it wasn't necessarily the most advantageous format to use. So while we can ingest and leverage all forms of OCI containers, we tend to, you can almost think about it like, you know, we, we tend to package that a little bit differently. Uh, those of you that are familiar with RPM and Debian files, uh, we, we kind of see that RPM is to source code what singularity is to containers. We end up packaging that container into a single file. and that single file, you can move around Wherever you want, you can email it. You can you can put it on shared storage, on parallel storage. Uh, you can put it in your you know your 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 Dropbox and share it that way. It doesn't matter. And then once you download that, it's simply a file in your file system. So POSIX permissions uh, apply. So if I want to share this with Eduardo, for example, I can just open this up, open up those POSIX permissions on that file, and he can now just type in Singularity shell and point it at that file. There's no archives. There's no there's no intermediary data. So instantly, even if it's a giant file system or a giant container, instantly he's now sitting inside of that container as himself, getting all the access and all the necessary uh, 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 privilege as he does as as himself. So it basically it's kind of like just you know swapping out your host operating system, but still having all access to all the data and all of your user. Uh, permissions and whatnot, without opening up any additional security threats. So, one more point on the on the file system or the or the the container format that I want to mention is that because it's a single file, it gives us a huge amount of advantage in terms of how do you trust that we can apply cryptographic signatures and sign the container uh, region within this file, and we can layer multiple signatures together inside our image format we actually have the ability to store the cryptographic material necessary to do a validation now of course a validation would require a public key to validate against and uh so we actually you know you 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 were, were pgp compatible so you can leverage your pgp keys you can you can use pgp to to move and import and export your keys from singularity and then you know without any doubt that cryptographically, you can trust your containers. This has been kind of a big deal uh, as people have been following the news. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but um, Graboid, <laughs> which is the, uh, the, the new worm that's out in, in Docker Hub and, and attacking Docker, right? This wouldn't be a problem if you can trust your containers uh, cryptographically. Uh, so, between that, between layering your signatures, it allows us to do things like guarantee provenance, guarantee lineage of your of your applications of your data of your workloads and and move them around the last thing i 'll mention just real quick is it also supports encryption uh, utilizing a very similar uh, technique and when we run the containers, we never decrypt them out to disk, so it 's only decrypted in kernel memory while it 's being used. Uh, which mitigates a whole slew of security uh, and, and data breach risks. Anyway. Sure. I, I know I know one of the things that running
1: with, with Docker has always kind of terrified me is you start looking, all right, what's going to be my base image? And you go to Docker Hub, and there are just oodles and oodles of images there. And you go, well, wait a second. Some random guy just put all of these together, you know? So I, I say, well, this looks like the perfect image, but how do I know what's actually running in there? And uh, it sounds like this is a problem you guys have thought pretty deeply about and, and worked real hard to
3: solve.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic point. One of the things that, that we uh, noticed early on is that the entire container community seems to think it's okay to trust downloading random bits of code that have no validation mechanism behind it, um, running them on root in production with par- as being part of your production workflow um yeah what I, could possibly I, go I, wrong I, yeah <laughs> i'm I, i'm not a huge security expert here but uh yeah, there's something there's there's a couple pieces missing there uh <laughs> as i mentioned you know my background is is in well my background's actually in science uh in biochemistry but uh i, I also i pivoted early in my career because i thought linux and open source was was so freaking cool and mm-hmm. uh decided to invest everything in, into that um and we, we haven't mentioned this, but you know my background actually is part of my background. I'm, I'm one of the key founders of CentOS, which you guys may, may know of. Uh, so you know my background in terms of security and in terms of his, historical how do you manage and how do you trust code and data and applications? Uh, you know it, it's based on all of the standards that you know, we've all come to know and love throughout UnIX, POSIX and now Linux. Uh,
1: so I didn't realize that first off. Thank you for CentOS. Um, that is an amazing product. <laughs> uh, you said that part of the work that you guys have done has actually been sponsored by uh, some of the uh, three-letter agencies here in the United States. Uh, have, you, have you run into any problems trying to do open source code for governments?
2: Hmm. I find that most most of the governments that i've been working with actually prefer everything to be an open source especially if they are engaging a commercial entity to to integrate code or to implement code and the reason why is this way they are they are sure that no matter what happens with that company uh or the people that are that are primarily responsible for maintaining it even that the code is out there in the open source and in the open source realm and they can get access to it and they don't have to worry about it somehow, you know, disappearing or going completely commercial, right? And then losing access to it. So I can't let Jonathan have all the fun because I
0: need to interrupt to have an important message here because this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. WWT began building their Advanced Technology Center, ATC, 10 years ago, and it has grown exponentially. The lab contains more than half a billion dollars in equipment. It's like no other testing and research lab. WWT is a trusted partner who stays with you over the years. Many of their customers have been with them for over a decade because they know WWT is where they can go to get the answers they need to make sure their business runs right. Their ATC is an incubator for IT innovation. Hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs represent the newest advances of multi-cloud architecture, security, networking, primary and secondary storage, data analytics, and AI, DevOps, and so much more. Learn about products before you launch. WWT's engineers use these environments to quickly spin up proofs of concept and pilots using the sandbox so customers can confidently select the best solutions. In many cases, this reduces concept time from months to weeks, which increases speed to market. They offer Lab as a Service, a dedicated lab space within the ATC. Your customers can perform programmatic testing using the vast technology ecosystem that WWT has already built. It's virtual, so you can take full advantage of ATC's unique benefits anywhere in the world 24-7. WWT engineers work in these labs every day, beta testing new equipment and building reference architectures and custom integrations to help their customers make decisions and see results faster and with much less investment. The time is finally here. WWT has launched their new digital platform encompassing the ATC ecosystem. This ecosystem creates a multiplier effect of knowledge, speed, and agility anytime, anywhere around the world for their customers. Get access to articles, case studies, hands-on labs, and other tools that make the difference in today's fast-paced world. To learn more about worldwide technology and join the ATC ecosystem, go to wwtcom twit and create an account today. WWT simplifies the complex. That's www.com slash TWIT. WWT delivering business and technology outcomes around the world. And we thank WWT for their sponsorship of Floss Weekly. I do want to say, before we get too much further, uh, apparently some people in the chat room noticed that your uh, certificate is expired on your website. So you probably want to get that fixed. <laughs> But, uh, so,
2: that's, so we, yeah. we're we using, we're using GitHub or GitHub pages for our, for our website and it's a little tricky to redirect. So yeah, we're, we actually have a redirector that we're using and yeah, I'll, I'll check on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great chat room. They're always like uh, looking for stuff
0: and, uh, and trying things out and hitting uh, websites and things like that. So, um, So let me see here. So you you talked a little bit about, uh, I'm sorry, I was distracted a little bit. We were talking about your particular storage format. Is that a a proprietary format, or uh, can other things read it, and is it open-published?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's completely open. It's uh, we've even we've even created an, an, another open source project around it called SIF uh, singularity image format. And it's all three clause BSD. So, you know, and because it's written in Go, it's incredibly easy for people just to import that into their projects and immediately start using those APIs. Yep. And uh, I'm going to have to channel Simon Phipps for a second. Uh, what's in the commercial
0: version or the enterprise version that's not in the open source version?
2: Nothing. We are what? selling a free product.
0: <laughs> well, so if Simon were here, he'd be pleased. He'd have a big grin on. That'd be, that'd be
2: perfect. Right. So I've, I've, been open, in open, I've been in open source for a really long time, and I've seen a lot of business models fail simply because they hold the open source code hostage uh, to their business mm-hmm. model. And right. I'm committed to not doing that. All of the code that we write goes first and foremost into the master branch. Uh, From there, we will coin and we will pull up releases into our pro version, very similar to how Red Hat does this with Fedora.
0: Okay. And uh, uh, is all your work being done in public on GitHub? I mean, do you have issues there? And do you have – is is that your master when you you publish? Yep. Absolutely, yes. Wow. That is uh, commendable. So how do you make your money? (laughs) Selling a free product.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So we – we basically we, we do offer we do offer a couple um, uh, uh, you can't call them enhancements really, but we basically that's what we support uh, One of the things that we learned early on is that supporting an open source piece of software, especially something as complicated as a container runtime, is a little tricky because people make modifications to it. People do weird uh, uh, you know have, have weird snapshots or, or they patch it themselves and then or they build it in an in obscure and kind of weird way. Uh, you know, just, just as a quick example, you know, the local state dir, whenever you're using, you know, Autoconf is is we're not using Autoconf anymore. Uh, I'm a fan of Autoconf. I'm one of the few, I think, but, uh, okay. but with that said, uh, when we were using it, local state dir, incredibly important. It actually has to be a local state dir, so don't install it on NFS. Uh, you would be surprised how many people made that mistake, and as a result, they got very unpredictable results uh, with singularity. So, uh, we just basically said well we 're going to support something that we know has a good starting point, and if somebody wants our support, they want our help you 're going to get pro and uh that was originally that was our first uh you know go to market you know if there's any you know startup people and, and business people in here uh, <laughs> that was our first go to market is really you know let's let 's take what we built and what we designed in the open source realm and turn that into our first product." Uh, we do have other code that we that you know is, is cloud-based cl- code. So if you go to cloud you'll see you know there's a container uh, repository there, something we call the container library. There is a build service. There is a key store for doing cryptographic validations and uh, of your containers and whatnot. Uh, all that code, we never released open source because, well, you know the the goal of it was to be a cloud service. Uh, with that said, it's funny, you know, I left Department of Energy thinking that the whole world was up on the cloud because that's what we were told at Department of Energy and we were the only ones who weren't and we need to, we need to get to it. And, you know, I was surprised to hear as soon as we went to market with that, all these organizations basically said, well, that's fantastic, but, you know, we're not going to host our data up in the cloud. So we want to run this on-prem. So, <laughs> uh, can you give us to us for, for on-prem? So we ended up creating a licensed version of that. So that is closed source, but that in no way holds hostage to Singularity. Singularity is our open source kind of uh cornerstone, you know, foundation piece. And that is completely open source and it always will be. Three clause BSD, very free and uh, <laughs> and open. Awesome, awesome. And by the way, an update on that uh
0: certificate problem. It's not yours. Somebody type syslabs instead of Scilabs. Ah, oh,
3: Thank goodness. <laughs> You're, yeah, your shirt is
0: just fine. Your shirt is just fine. I was doing like
3: live debugging here with our system administrator. Like, what is happening? Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the wild goose chase, but, uh, but you know, sometimes we have a, we have an amazing, uh, chat room, but sometimes they're a little over enthusiastic. <laughs> they just type things at <laughs> random, I guess. <laughs> they're like, they're like, uh, you know, the, the monkeys on typewriters sometimes occasionally. Um, Plutonium to asks if I were to test this in a lab, what would I need? Where to start?
2: Well, it's written in Go, so you need you need Go. Um, but aside from that, you can pretty much just you know install Go. We have directions of how to do it. Uh, we'll even you know give you the snippet that you just need to to paste into your into your terminal. Uh, install Go, and then basically just build Singularity. Just check it out of uh, either a master branch or one of our releases, and build mm-hmm. it immediately from that point. As a non-privileged user with rootless, completely rootless, no daemons running, you can start running any Docker container or any OCI container that you want. You can just type in singularity shell, docker colon slash slash Ubuntu or CentOS or TensorFlow or Python, whatever you want. And immediately you're sitting in that virtual operating system. Uh, it's it's seriously that easy. And you can when you do it, if you do an LS or a PWD, you'll see you're sitting in the same directory that you just started in. So if you want to test, like for example, let's say you've got a bunch of Python code and you want to test it against different versions of Python, you can just download those different containers and start you know testing your code uh in those containers. Uh, you don't have to copy anything around or move anything around. Uh, if you do want to be a privileged user or do anything with privilege inside the container, you have to start the container with privilege, which means you'd have to type in pseudo singularity uh, shell, you know, Docker colon slash slash NGINX. Or you can convert those Docker containers into the singularity image format and do something like, you know, I'll use TensorFlow as an example. Uh, it's, it's, I'll talk through it, but it's much easier to see than it is. Uh, so the command would be singularity build, say TensorFlow.sif, and that's a local file. And then you'd say docker colon slash slash TensorFlow slash TensorFlow. And you do need that just because that's their, where they put it in Docker Hub. When you do that, it will goes and builds this TensorFlow.sif file. And this file is, um, you know, it's a single file. It's, you can cryptographically sign it, but it's also executable. So you can take that TensorFlow file and stick it in your path. And when you do that, you can just now type in TensorFlow.sif, and people won't even realize that they're running inside of a container. Uh, so everything works exactly as if it were a standalone application on your host. So it's incredibly easy to deal with. Uh, it, I don't know. I, I think it's intuitive, but I wrote it, so I don't count. Uh, but people have told me that it's intuitive. <laughs> So you
1: could do something fun, like make this the force command for someone SSHing or telnetting
2: into a system. <laughs> so we've actually had, so there there are some, <laughs> uh, when, when you're running on an HPC system, there are some use cases in which you do want to kind of, uh, you know, if you SSH into a system, you kind of want to land into your container. At some point, I actually wrote for for some people, I don't even think I ever even open sourced it because it was it was so embarrassing, but I wrote... A bin singularity login program that if you change your shell to that, it'll automatically, as soon as you log in, it'll land into a container. So you never even know what host operating system you're running.
1: (laughs) That's brilliant. Uh, That that actually sounds like it might be a good system to use for creating (laughs) honeypots. I like it. (laughs) So I mean, one of the uh, things that uh, singularity is uh, is kind of known for is being able to run it on your laptop or desktop and push it uh, out to production. What is is this um, is this Linux only or what do people do if they're not running Linux on their uh, local machine? People don't run Linux
2: everywhere? I know, um, okay. it's the weirdest thing, hey. but apparently. So <laughs> uh <laughs> what you can basically do. So what we've done is, you know, I actually I'm I'm Speaking somewhat tongue in cheek, because you know I, I actually use a Mac um, mostly. I'm a, I'm a CEO now. You know what that means? I'm a salesperson and PowerPoint maker. Every now and then I get to work in Excel, and that's about it. Uh, but uh, so I, I spend most of my time actually on the Mac. Uh, one of the first things that we did was we actually made a Mac version of it, so you can do all of the same stuff. You can install. We have a Mac package. You don't have to build anything. You can just go grab it, install it on your Mac. It's you know, it'll look very familiar if you have a Mac. And then you can open up your shell and you can just type in singularity shell docker colon slash slash CentOS. Hit enter. And it, it takes a couple seconds. But now you're sitting in Linux. You're sitting in CentOS on your Mac with your home directory. And just like it runs on Linux, except for it's running on your Mac. And uh, so you actually, if you ever want to run Linux on your Mac, you don't have to install, you know, VMware or... or or um uh, VirtualBox or, or any of those things, you can just now type in, you know, Singularity. Uh, it also works with X apps. So if you have a, uh, if you want to bring up a, you know, an, an X uh, client app, you can do that uh, through this as well. Just make sure you're you're starting with, you know, something like X courts, and then it works. If you want to run it on Windows, you, it does work uh, fairly easily with WSL2, so I'm not sure when Microsoft is or has released WSL2 um, as uh, stable, but as soon as that happens, it uh, it's incredibly easy to work with.
1: The uh, Windows subsystem for Linux made that question a lot easier for a lot of us doing a lot of different things, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were really so, happy they did that because it made it, yeah, simple for us.
1: Yes, Um. One of one of the things I like to ask, we are running running close to out of time. Uh, what's the strangest thing that someone has done with this piece of software that you guys are aware of?
2: Oh, oh, Eduardo, you may have a couple couple points here I, to time I, in on.
3: I cannot but, answer because no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so there was there was there was somebody, and I'm and he's gonna kick me later. I'm I'm blanking out on his name right now, um, and I. I shouldn't. Oh my God. He's going to, he's going to kick me if he sees us. He created a project called Dole uh, I believe it's those like little grape leaves, whatnot wrapped up, but basically what he wanted to do is he was always running, you know, windows games on Linux through wine, but wine mm-hmm. is very difficult to set up for each individual game. So he basically said, well, if I containerize this, I can containerize the entire user space portion of the operating system into a single singularity file, wrap that around my game, and he now runs Windows games through singularity and I believe now he's done it in docker as well, but everything works pretty much as you you'd expect it to. <laughs> it just runs Windows <laughs> games on Linux.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. Yes, that is that is an outstanding problem with wine. <laughs> Um, all right. So before I let you go, uh, this this idea we, we just touched on it of uh, you know taking something, running it on your local machine, and then pushing it off to a supercomputer. Uh, what's can you give us kind of an idea of, of maybe one of the big challenges of that kind of a, a jump in scale and what you guys had to do to, to to solve that problem?
3: Well, one is do not do the singularity build from Docker. Uh, that's a uh, good practice that we are uh, spreading the ghost spell from singularity. And it's because uh, we are facing now that your laptop is x86, right? But data centers like HPC clusters are not the regular x86. So that's why we are recommending in, and we are building uh, tools like uh, the Sidelap Builder so you can build your containers in the system, right? And that way you, you are going to get Every drop of performance from that system, and no one is going to guarantee you if the container you are pulling from Docker is the same architecture. So although it is going to run, it is going to run with a performance blast So that I would say, for, from my point, is the please do it as this. I don't know, Greg, what has to say about it. So.
2: From the, the high-performance computing perspective, there's actually some some interesting, I'm not sure it's directly answers, but uh, something I think it's important to recognize is when you run applications in parallel, uh, typically the way people do this on supercomputers is they share out that application like on NFS or they share it out on a parallel file system. And you you may have hundreds or thousands of compute nodes that are, trying to run that application at once. Now, parallel file systems are really bad at uh, metadata operations because you typically have lots of object servers, right, where the data is stored, but the metadata operations all come through usually a single source. Uh, it, well, in Luster's case, it's a single source. And uh, even with NFS, this is a this is an area for bottlenecks. So as you start to scale out your application, you start to see a lot of uh, issues with that. So let's say, for example, running a Python app and that Python app may do one to 200 metadata operations if you have a lot of different modules and you have a lot of different, you know, uh, say you're doing a PyMPI type job. And now you're running that on 10,000 uh, across 10,000 processors. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, the amount of metadata operations you have basically causes you to do a distributed denial of service attack to your file server. And in some cases, you can actually block your file server to all users for, you know, I, the longest numbers I've heard are about 30 to 40 minutes. The entire cluster file system is offline while it's trying to load up this application on all these nodes. Wow. By simply installing, it, installing all that, app, that same application into a singularity container and then putting that singularity container on the exact same file system, right, what did we just do? Well, we just consolidated all of our metadata operations from hundreds to just one per node. This means that we can now, we we took that same job where we were getting about a 30 to 40 minute startup uh, delay, and we brought that down to six seconds. Uh, aside from that, there's pretty much no performance delta. But there are things that you have to consider when you start talking about uh, scale. Uh, Jonathan, you mentioned this right up at the beginning. And yeah, that's exactly true. Uh, the problems that you 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 have when you're not talking at scale uh, are massively different than what happens when you start scaling your applications. And the type of applications that we're scaling and the type of workloads are so significantly different from cloud native, right? Cloud native and what the hyperscalers are doing, I mean, they're they're, they're scaling gigantic. But it's a really different scaling problem, right? Because services, I mean, for the most part, they're, they're sitting idle. They're sitting at a select call in an endless loop waiting for something to happen. Even a very active service is pretty much idle for most of its life, where a computationally focused application is is you know spinning on that CPU or thrashing around in that memory or hitting that GPU or network or file system as fast and hard as it possibly can. And as a result of that, you 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 can't oversubscribe. You have to you know be, think very carefully about your consumable resources on every on every host, and you have to make sure that you're scaling as efficiently and optimally as possible across um, you know a lot of systems. And of course, this becomes a bigger issue the more and more you scale. So Singularity was developed kind of with this in mind, right? How do you keep operating system noise to a minimal? How do you remain as lightweight as possible? How do you uh, make efficient? Uh, your, your file system calls, your metadata calls, and uh, how do you not get in the way of things like MPI and, uh, and, and you know, high-performance uh, critical applications? And, uh, and then how do you also fit within that architecture and the security model? So these are the things that Singularity was originally developed for. But the one final note that I want to leave on is you know, we, we built this thinking of only high-performance computing – and we learned about all of the different use cases and how interesting people, how interested people are in these sorts of things and how much we simplified the idea of containers so much after we, we kind of spun up Scilab. So we spun, when we spun up Scilabs, we thought really we were going to be focused in high performance computing. Uh, and much to our surprise, about half of our customers have nothing to do with high performance computing. Right. We have a lot of customers that are and and a lot of interest from people that are like high security. They're doing things and they and they have to they have to absolutely trust their environment. They have to guarantee provenance of their data. They have to uh, encrypt their IP and their data in such a way that they can on ramp into cloud environments without uh, leaving their, their data wide open in on S3 or you know whatever whatever backend storage system uh, it is. So it's really been interesting for us how, how what we've solved is useful in areas that we didn't even anticipate. And as a result, we've been growing our company kind of in these directions as well. So as people are thinking about containers and people are thinking about security of containers and uh, usage of containers, I think singularity is a really uh, low barrier of entry, easy way to get involved in this, an easy way to get... Developing on containers and using containers, uh, and we have a fantastic community of people. So, if anybody wants to join, I am. Uh, I'd, we'd be very, uh, we're very welcoming. We we love to have people, you know, join and be part of what we're doing. So, and thank you for this opportunity to chat with you guys.
3: Yeah, we're uh, almost uh, out of time. Sorry. Go One go ahead, thing I that I I want to leave is that we have been talking about MPI and TensorFlow like for the whole interview. And we haven't mentioned the buzzword, right, GPUs. One of other things that Singularity was designed from scratch was to be able to plug into GPU systems or InfiniBand systems and just make right. them work out of the box. And that's part of the architectural design of Singularity.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, we're almost out of time. Um, and we didn't even get to blockchain, so I don't know what's going to happen there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a it's a running joke for us. <laughs> um, is there anything uh, we didn't cover that you really want to make sure – you might have actually just done this, but is there anything we didn't cover that you want to make sure our audience is aware of before we have to let you go? Let's uh, start with Gregory.
2: So I, I, I think I may have jumped the gun on on my my okay. closing monologue. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. that so, uh, covered it. That's fine. So one one of the maybe the the, the biggest hurdle that we've seen so far is that when uh, sing, the name Singularity has definitely gotten out there into enterprise, but I think a lot of people now are just see this as a high performance computing solution and not something that's generally applicable or um, uh, integratable into their existing. Uh, application frameworks like Kubernetes and whatnot. Uh, right. So I would encourage people to to check into Singularity. Uh, it's not just an HPC uh, solution. It happened to have been built there, but as a result, it has some really cool advantages uh, that are very easy to integrate into uh, enterprise and uh, and even you know everything from hobby to to high security areas. So I do encourage people to to check it out. Uh, it's it's. Easy to get started, low barrier of entry. So, um, and we're we're very welcoming. If you have any questions, we'd be happy to send you a Slack invite and uh, and or join our our mailing list. Cool. And Eduardo, the same question.
3: Well, would say continue with Greg? Uh, please break singularity. Uh, but part of my job is always being in the QA side of singularity and testing it. And the best way for that is getting issues from the community and helping people that broke Singularity in some way. And (laughs) that is super helpful, right? Like, that is how I get here. And for me, uh, telling people to use it, to play with it, and then to deploy it is the best way to enhance a product uh, that is open source. So as Greg said, yeah, please uh, join the community and start playing with it.
0: Okay, two final questions I have to ask or else i actually get yelled at by my audience. Uh, We'll start with uh, Gregory again. Um, Your uh, favorite text editor and your favorite uh, language.
2: (laughs) Oh, God, you guys are going to judge me, aren't you? um, (laughs) It's our job. So so Vim, text editor... Uh And Uh, uh, I was recently asked to do some coding on a whiteboard. And I have to say, people that can code on a whiteboard are truly remarkable. I am a fool when it comes to coding in anything that's not Vim at this point. It's all muscle memory. And uh, (laughs) I just can't do it. It's like a blocker for me. So Vim, in terms of languages, uh, I initially, my first language I learned was C. uh, And then I got really lazy and picked up Perl. This was about Yay. 20, 25 years ago, and I Yay. stuck with Pearl for a very long time, and I picked C back up when I started with Singularity, and uh, um, now I it's between C and Pearl. Okay, well, you know, you keep saying the right words. That's good. I like that. That's very
0: nice, uh, <laughs> and uh, Pearl, I, I, there's so few people now that... Even mention that they even know Pearl, so that's great. And most of them learned from my book, so that was even better. Um, uh, and Eduardo, same two questions.
3: Well, I guess I'm younger than Greg, so. <laughs> <laughs> but still, Dude, I, I, I love BIM. <laughs> I'm a Beam fan, uh, although sure. as my preferred languages go, I use Bingo, which is like adding a plugin to Beam that gives you you know, highlight, uh, syntax highlighting for Go, and it helps you debug Go applications. So that's
0: how I run it. Okay, okay, yeah, and we're running over time, so I really can't hang out with you guys much more, but it's been wonderful. We could have gone another half hour easily. I have a bunch of questions about the community and a bunch of other things that uh, we normally get to, and when we start the show on time, uh, for those of you at home, we, we started about uh, 20 minutes late, so uh, that's uh, that's just what happens sometimes. Anyway, uh, thanks, guys, for being on the show and uh, talking to us about Singularity, and I'm sure there'll be some people that'll be interested in it and download this right after the show and start playing with it. So thank you. All right. That was uh, Gregory and Eduardo talking to us about Singularity. What do you think there, uh, Jonathan? Jonathan. Uh, I think I
1: may be one of those people that uh, want to go download and play with this. Um, you know, I do. I do a lot of things in virtual machines because of, well, accommodation of things, but the the lack of really good security inside things like Docker. And uh, this is this sounds like they're trying really hard to fix some of those problems that I've had with it. So I'll, I'll definitely have to take a look at this. Um, I, it sounds like they also have fixed some of the quirky things about containers that has just always rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a really interesting project.
0: Yeah, one of the questions I would have liked to have asked, uh, and I thought of it towards the end of the show, is uh, when would you not use this? What's the... What's the uh, friction on using mm-hmm. this? I mean, or would you use it everywhere anytime you have a container? Would that be appropriate? Oh, anyway, too late. We'll bring him back on in a, in a year or two and we'll uh, ask that question again. <laughs> um, uh, we have a full schedule. Thank you guys, everybody, for helping me out get my schedule full. We have a full schedule all the way out through the end of the year. Coming up next week is Hacker Public Radio, which is a podcast that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday, apparently uh, community-contributed uh, shows. We have Hot Rock, which I still don't quite know what it is. I'm trying to Google for it, and it doesn't show up on the website that they link, so I have no idea what it actually is. Uh, I've just sent email. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think about it until midway through the show. I just an email to the guy saying, what, what the heck it, is this thing? Um, Kong is coming back. It's the next generation API platform for multi-cloud and hybrid organizations, which is really fun. Uh, we've had them on the show about a year and a half, two years ago, but apparently there's been some significant uh, thing that's come along. Um, uh, just added to the list, uh, Chesmois, Chesmois, I think it's French, Chesmois. It, uh, helps you manage your personal configuration files, dot files across multiple machines. That should be kind of cool um ls quick which is the Lightspeed quick library it's an open source implementation of quick q Q-U-I-C, and http 3 functionality for servers and clients XWiki, which is a uh, which is first generation wikis are used to collaborate on content second generation wikis uh can be used to create collaborative web applications and uh, XWiki can be used for either first or second generation just added to the show brought to me by um uh oh now i'm gonna forget his name darn it uh yeah, I didn't write it down. Turn it is uh, Yugabyte, which is uh, Yugabyte, I guess. It's a distributed Postgres, so basically you can send Postgres across multiple clusters and uh, scale at uh, planet wide size. They said pretty cool. Uh, also, just added to the schedule is just in fact just about an hour or two ago is RollaStream, 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 Oh, RollaStream. I don't know where the R came from there. Rolesteam is a virtual tabletop software. It helps you manage tabletop role-playing games with remote friends and players. It provides many features to share maps, pictures, and it also includes tools to communicate with your friends and players. That's pretty fun. It looks like we've got a great uh, fourth quarter coming up. So uh, please stick around. Twitter.tv slash Floss is the homepage for this show. And again, If you have more suggestions, it's fine. Uh, I'll open up Q1 in about uh, a week or so. Um, so if you have any suggestions, have the project leader or community coordinator, email me, Merlin, at com, um, And uh, you can follow us at at Floss Weekly on Twitter. You can follow me at, at Merlin on Twitter. Uh, you can also join us in the forum at twit.community. Yes, that's the URL. It's twit.community, okay? I don't have anything to plug right now. I'm actually sort of past everything that that's going on. Oh, No. I will be at the, uh, the Google Developer Expert Summit this weekend in San Jose, so you might see me out and about on the streets there. Uh, of course, if I'm on the streets; I'm not at the conference, so I guess it's not very good. Um, anyway, so that's going to be fun. Oh, the chat room is telling me that the uh, this, the Hot Rock is actually on their GitHub, but uh, I will have that fixed by next week, so we'll uh, we'll get the actual uh, things on that. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to plug there, uh, Jonathan?
1: Uh, so I'll mention you can follow me on Twitter at JP underscore Bennett and uh, look out each Friday over at Hackaday.com for my weekly security article. And uh, send me uh, send me your tips over on Twitter, and I'll get them written up.
0: Cool. Okay, and I've just been told, uh, whispered in my ear here, that Hot Rock is, uh, uh, addresses the challenge of transforming raw logs alerts, and time series data into real intelligence without the traditional limitations of scale, extensibility, or high cost. Boy, they could use this at uh, ZipRecruiter. Actually, actually probably point this at them. Anyway, uh, we're way over time. So, uh, Jonathan, thanks one, once again for stepping in and having your schedule be so flexible. And uh, mm-hmm. you have saved my bacon one more time. So, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Always my pleasure. All right. So, we'll see you all again next week on Floss Weekly.